You are listening to a podcast from The National. Moored off Yemen's Red Sea coast is a rusting oil tanker with a million barrels of crude aboard. It has been described as a floating bomb. After going without maintenance for the duration of Yemen's war, now in its fifth year, the UN says the vessel is now at risk of exploding, potentially unleashing an environmental catastrophe on an historic scale. But with $80 million worth of oil involved, Houthi rebels and the Yemeni government have disagreed about what is to be done. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Campbell McDiarmid, and today we are looking at the case of the FSO Safer, the floating bomb that has become a bargaining chip in Yemen's devastating conflict. FSO Safer is so-called because it's a floating storage and offloading vessel. As we'll soon hear, though, the vessel is anything but safe. First, though, a little history. Originally a Japanese oil tanker, in 1988 the Safer was moored off the coast of Yemen and connected via a pipeline to the Marib oil field. Ordinarily, some 200,000 barrels of oil could be pumped through the pipeline daily into storage tanks capable of holding up to 3 million barrels. Tankers would then moor alongside and take on this oil. It was one of the largest FSO units in the world, and in this configuration, the SAFER served as the country's main oil export facility, responsible for about half of the Yemeni government's revenues. But when the facility came under Houthi rebel control in 2015, the Arab coalition that formed to support the government blocked oil exports. Houthi rebels, meanwhile, commandeered the maintenance budget. The FSO Safer had become a pawn in a much bigger game. To get a better understanding of the situation, I reached out to Doug Weir, who is the Research and Policy Director of the Conflict and Environment Observatory, an organization dedicated to highlighting the often devastating effects war can have on the natural environment. Nobody is really sure of exactly how safe this vessel is. That's Doug, speaking to us via Skype from the wilds of West Yorkshire, where he is based. From 2015 onwards, it hasn't really been looked after. Um, so obviously, if you have a, a very large vessel like this on the sea, you have corrosion issues. Um, you need to keep the machinery and the pumps working properly. You need to keep the engines working properly. But none of this seems to have been done. And really critically for these tankers is that obviously you have a huge amount of oil in the tanks, then they give off gases, volatile gases, when they get warm, which uh, evaporate off them. So these tankers normally pump in inert gas uh, into their tanks, and this keeps down the level of these volatiles, which can be very highly explosive. So because the engines haven't been running on this vessel, because it's been sitting there in a state of disrepair, none of this gas has been getting pumped in. So potentially you have a vessel which is believed to contain around 1.14 million barrels of oil, which currently represents a huge explosive risk because of the buildup of these explosive gases. So to recap, we have an aging and unmaintained oil tanker sitting in tropical heat with the oil giving off volatile fumes into its tanks, which are no longer filled with inert gas. Hence its description as a floating bomb. Aware of this situation, last year the Yemeni government asked the UN for assistance in making the FSO safer, well, safer. But the Houthi rebels, desperate for cash to feed a starving population and to continue their fight, have blocked UN access to the vessel. 
Yemeni economist Abdul Wahid Al-Abaili has been warning of the danger posed by the FSO Safer for over a year. I spoke to him via Skype to ask him what the Houthis want. The Houthis, they will do their best to keep the vessels in its place as a hostage. You know, because it's another, uh, another way or another uh, tool to make pressure on, uh, on international community and uh, coalition uh, forces uh, to do whatever they want. Because if the vessel is not there anymore, so simply Houthis, they lost one of their playing cards. So Houthis, they need the vessel as a hostage. And if they, if they, they, they let this vessel go, they will let it go for very expensive, uh, very expensive price. Let's add a little more context here. The cost of the war in Yemen has been immense. According to the UN, over 24 million people are in need of humanitarian assistance, and 13 million Yemenis are on the brink of famine. Areas under Houthi control in particular are desperate for both food and refined petroleum products. The FSO Safer represents a potentially lucrative prize, if its oil could be sold. Here's Doug again trying to summarise the complexities of the case. 1.14 million barrels of oil represents quite a lot of money. It's around $80 million uh, in today's prices. And so you have a very complex uh, environmental issue potentially, but also one with quite a large economic value. Uh, So during the conflict, we saw the Yemeni government initially put in this request to the UN for international assistance. It wasn't something that they felt they could assess themselves. So the UN does have some uh, capacity to uh, arrange environmental assessments where there's a risk of an environmental emergency. Um, The Houthis have been apparently unwilling to provide access to the vessel for this assessment. And what they would like to do is to sell the oil which is on there in order to pay uh, civil servant salaries uh, and to allow more importation of oil products like petrol um, because usually held areas have been faced by this fuel crisis so there's not been enough fuel for people for pumps for generators uh, and so you have these two very competing interests in here and then there's wider regional interests because obviously there are a number of countries which border the red sea such as saudi arabia and so saudi and the uae have also had an interest in this issue um, but The fate of this vessel is now caught up in these kind of geopolitical games uh, between all the parties to the conflict. So it's an incredibly complex situation. But there may be some cause for cautious optimism. Houthi rebels have been withdrawing from three strategic Red Sea ports, including the Ras Issa facility, of which the FSO Safer is a part. The withdrawal is part of the Stockholm Agreement, reached in December between Yemen's government and the Houthis. The idea behind the agreement is to demilitarize the ports under UN supervision to allow the unrestricted importation of humanitarian aid. While the agreement had appeared to be faltering recently, the withdrawal offers a tentative boost to the UN-backed process. And crucially for the FSO Safer, it may offer the UN an opportunity to send in a team to carry out an assessment of the vessel. The fate of this vessel is well and truly sort of tied up in these wider issues around oil sales, around peace, around military withdrawal from ports. That's Doug again, explaining why making progress on the safer has been so difficult up until now. But as he points out, with progress being made in other areas, this could be a good thing for the safer. Potentially, if the military 
Houthi forces are withdrawing from these ports, then that may make it access easier for this international team who wants to come in and do this assessment. But even then, there's still the question of how to make the vessel safe and what to do with the oil aboard. Even before the war, the FSO Safer was reaching the end of its useful life. It was only ever planned as a temporary facility, which continued operating for nearly 30 years only through regular and expensive maintenance. Yemeni authorities were already planning for its replacement before the war and had begun construction of new facilities at Ras Issa. Obviously, this was all interrupted by the conflict. After so long without maintenance, the FSO Safer is unlikely to ever operate again, leaving Yemen without a facility through which it can sell oil from the Marib oil field, which, remember, before the war was a main source of revenue for the government. Obviously, a replacement facility will be crucial to Yemen's eventual recovery. According to Abdul Wahid, who used to work for the company that owns the Safer, the oil currently aboard has been earmarked to finish the construction of a new terminal in Rasisa. For me, the best scenario to have what we can call consistent and strategic solution for this is to sell the crude oil on the, uh, on the vessel and take this money to finish the construction of Ras Isa terminal. Then we can have uh, a replacement for the vessel and we become ready any time to resume production. Even, even, even if the, the war didn't finish and they want to, uh, we, let's say, normalize the situation with, with Houthis, they still can export oil from, from Ras Isa. Because, you know, the, the, the export of oil uh, of Yemen is, uh, is stopped now. The, the Yemen is without income. Yemen is completely depending on, uh, on donation and uh, assistance from other countries. Because, you know, in the past, Yemen is depending on uh, an oil export uh, to finance its budget. But now this oil export is not valid anymore because of the... Uh, the stop, the stoppage of uh, Rasaisatan. They cannot export oil very soon. So that's one potential long-term solution. But we may be getting a bit ahead of ourselves. For now, the FSO Safer remains an environmental and geopolitical threat, moored offshore of a country at war. Doug studies the effects of conflict on the environment and says the Safer is one of the most complex cases he has seen. It's... Yeah, really problematic. Given the threat that it poses to the marine environment up and down the Red Sea coast, and particularly it's like 14 kilometers away from one of Yemen's only marine protected areas, which is this Kamaran Island, where there are pretty much untouched mangroves and coral reefs, um, which are really important for local fisheries. And the Red Sea, generally, it's an enclosed sea. So a very large oil pollution incident like this could potentially have a massive impact up and down the coast. Um, but now what we've seen is that this environmental issue has now become caught up in these sort of wider games and in the process of the peace agreement itself. Um, and it's it's frustrating to see because environmental risks of this sort are common risks. You know, there are a number of countries which could be affected by this uh, and this should be a cause for cooperation rather than conflict. And it's one of those, it's one of the most problem, well, complicated problems that we've, we can remember seeing, but, and it's going to take international cooperation to deal with. So, there's the potential for the parties to the conflict to be using the environment as a tool for dialogue and for cooperation overseen by the UN, 
But actually what we've seen has been this kind of politicisation of the issue by both parties uh, within the context of the peace agreement negotiations. The difficulty of resolving environmental crises during war is that there are often more pressing concerns, like the human impact. But Doug points out that environmental protection isn't necessarily distinct from protecting civilians. For one thing, environmental degradation often impacts livelihoods, which can then become a driver of conflict. In Yemen, the obvious example is water scarcity, which affects farmers' livelihoods. But in the case of the safer, an environmental disaster would affect fisheries, as well as potentially shipping. So the environment is not a discrete problem, and it needs to be factored into conflict resolution. Here's Doug again. So the environment has got to be a greater focus of our response to conflicts and how we think about them. And it can also be a really important tool for building peace afterwards if communities can cooperate and share over environmental resources. Doug believes that resolving the case of the SAFER could potentially advance peace-building efforts more generally. I mean, we're very concerned about this vessel, but we're equally concerned about the massive humanitarian cost of the conflict. Uh, the cholera cases, the famine... Um, but at the same time, the situation of this vessel, there are a lot of countries, maritime countries, who have a stake in what happens to it. Um, and there are a lot of countries who share the Red Sea coast and have an interest in what happens. And we would like to see that potentially as something which could draw the different parties together to actually get beyond this polarization of the question of on one side, this is a huge threat. On the other side, this is a potential financial resource and to actually look at the bigger picture and say, well, look, this is something which is going to affect the environment. This is going to, going to affect coastal communities. Um, this is something which we should and could be cooperating over. And if we can cooperate over this, then maybe that opens the door to cooperation in other areas. Whether we will be or not, I'm not sure. At the moment, it's really hard to tell how this story is sort of going to play out uh, and what the potential is. And it's going to be, yeah, as you say, very much tied into the uh, progress of the peace agreement and the implementation of the Stockholm Agreement. So. Abdul Wahid reaches a similar conclusion, but he puts it a little more succinctly. Because we are all living on the same planet and we have to, to do our best to keep the place we, where, where we live safe and clean. Thanks this week to Doug Weir and Abdul Wahid Alobeli. Subscribe to Beyond the Headlines on Apple Podcasts or any of your favourite podcasting apps. Follow our coverage on this story and more at thenational.ae. I've been your host, Campbell McDiamond. Join us again next week.